0: Well, you can grab a Bible with me this morning and head to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 8 through 16. Uh, You can pull that up on your phone. Uh, We say it all the time here, the power's not in my words, it's in God's words. You can take a moment, it won't offend me at all, to get that Bible in front of you. Luke chapter 2, and we'll head there in just a moment. But we've been in this series called Questioning Christmas, and we've asked a lot of significant questions about the Christmas story, about Christmas in general, about Jesus and the Gospels. The first week, we talked about this question, like, are the Gospels kind of just like the the telephone game? And do things just sort of get passed down through history to different people? And maybe we got the real story, maybe we haven't. Can we really trust these gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where we find the Christmas story? And then the the second week we asked this question straight up, hey, is the Christmas story really just a story? Is it just like a fairy tale? Like we got Santa flying with reindeer and we got baby Jesus, God becoming flesh. I mean, it's all just angels. Like it's all just kind of this fairy tale. Is it just a story? And we actually talked about, hey, the reason why we still talk about this story 2,000 years later, the reason why it's so popular is because it's powerful, historical, and reliable, and from kind of an apolog, apologetic viewpoint, we dove into that a couple weeks ago. And last week, we kind of continued that theme with what about the virgin birth? And this question of, that we don't really talk about. We'll talk about a man going from death to life and Jesus being the center of our faith. And we all believe that. And yet this virgin birth, we're like, nah, that's a little crazy. <laughs> and so we actually said, hey, we need to talk about the virgin birth. And today we're going to talk about this question of what about the angels, right? It just keeps getting lighter and lighter and lighter. Easier topics for your pastor to address, right? And here's the reality today. I told you this last week as we talked about the virgin birth. My goal today is not to help you see that angels are reasonable to believe in. And just like we talked about the virgin birth, you can go look at that sermon last week. I talked about, hey, my goal wasn't to say, hey, the virgin birth is reasonable, and here's my three points as to why that is, right? Now, what I said last week was, when you consider our universe, specifically the birth of our universe, and the birth, uh, just in general, of kids, how they come into the world, and we talked about that, and how miraculous that is, both of those things are, how miraculous it is that we live in a universe that has a, a massive fireball that's close enough to keep us warm, but not burn us up. How we live in a universe that that was created and has stars hung up in the sky and and a moon that reflects the sun's light and it keeps light even at night. And, And how we're on a spinning rock called earth right now. Did you know that when you woke up this morning? We're on a spinning rock and yet we're not flying off of it. And we talked about if we consider the birth of the universe, if we consider the birth of everyone in this room and how you came to be in a womb of a person, of a woman, and how you came out and you were purple and chalky and your hair was all greased up and we were all like, what is that? And then like eight years later, you're playing basketball or running track like my kids are and believing in Jesus with both your head and your heart. And we talked about if hey, if you just get off social media for five seconds, stop talking about politics for 10 minutes, amen, and you consider our universe and its birth, you consider births in general, here's the case we should be making is that it's unreasonable to believe everything should be reasonable. If you just stop and consider life and the universe and the world in which you live, Right? So some of you, as soon as I say, what about the angels? We're going to talk about you are like angels. Aren't we more modern than that, Tim? Aren't we more enlightened than that, Tim? Haven't we moved beyond that kind of fairy tale of angels? I mean, I know I got one hovering over my manger scene, but that's just kind of a cute thing. I know i go to Christmas plays and we're like, oh, look at the cute little angel, right? And I know like my, I call my kids like you sweet little angel, even though they're, they're, they're sweet, but they're sinful, right? <laughs> And I know we kind of like, hey, well, angels, and we kind of push it to the side. But it's, it's unreasonable to think that everything should be reasonable when we look at our world. And so that's the case I'm making today. And that's it. That's all you're going to get from apologetics this morning. We're going to now look at Scripture and see what does Scripture really say about angels? What do they do? Why does it all matter? And, I, and we're going to talk about that and dig into Scripture because Scripture talks a lot about angels. And we talk about angels and think about angels in all uh, sorts of ways. And I think all of us have sort of misconceptions of angels. I think a lot of us, when we think of angels, we think of chubby Cupid babies, right? We think of these guys on the screen, right? I think if you asked our culture and you kind of polled our culture, we would say, hey, yeah, that, that's kind of what I think of when I think of angels. If you grew up in the 90s like me, you may think of this show called um, Touched by an Angel, When you, like this discipled me (laughs) about angels when I was a kid, I don't know about you. It's just like this, you have a nice British lady who walks around with you and helps you out in life. That's an angel, right? Or maybe for some of you, it was a movie called Angels in the Outfield. And that's what you think about. You think of like that angel helping that outfielder reach out to catch the fly ball, right? And all of us have all these misconceptions of angels. And so we wanna talk about what does the Bible say? Who are they? What do they do? And why does it even matter? That's what we're going to drill down on today. So Luke chapter 2, head there if you haven't already. Luke 2, verses 8 through 16. We're going to read a significant portion of the Christmas story where we see angels show up at a very significant moment in history. And we're going to drill down who they are, what they do, and why does it matter. Luke 2, verses 8 through 16. You guys ready? Say amen if you got it. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's read it together. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, "'Let us go over to Bethlehem "'and see this thing that has happened, "'which the Lord has made known to us.' "'And they went with haste "'and found Mary and Joseph and the baby "'lying in a manger.'" So here's the first question we're gonna ask this morning is who are the angels? Who are the angels? Well, first we have to see the angels are a significant part of this Christmas story. They're a significant part of the whole Bible. As we look at this passage in particular, I know we've heard this story a lot, but just pull back for a moment and think about the significance of what just took place in Luke chapter two. We're just told that God The God who hung the stars, who created everything, who's sustaining it by the power of his word. We're just told in this passage that that God is about to become flesh. And not just flesh, like become a man. No, he's going to become a baby. God, who hung the universe, who who created everything, Almighty God, is going to come into the world. Oh, that's not enough. He's going to come into the world just like you and just like everybody else comes into the world. He is going to have his butt wiped. God in the flesh. He's gonna cry. He's going to crawl around and eat rocks. This is the announcement we just heard. I know you've heard it a lot and you've kind of become numb to it, but this is the announcement you just heard. God, almighty God, is coming to the earth as a baby. And who makes the announcement? An angel. This angel is the first Proclaimer of the gospel in the New Testament. How do you think about that? It's not a prophet. John the Baptist, he's not even here yet to prepare the way for Jesus. Who is proclaiming good news of great joy that a Savior is going to be born? It's an angel. And yet we never really think about angels. But they're a significant part of the most significant event in all of history. But it's not just in the Christmas story, and it's not just in this event. It's as we look at the whole of Scripture. As people and scholars have counted up how many times angels are, are mentioned in the Bible, they counted up about 300 direct references to angel, where we see that actual word, angel. But then they counted up another 200 plus references to angel armies or heavenly hosts, like we see who start to praise God together and they all show up together. That's about 500 plus references to angels across our Bible. They're significant in the Bible. And so we need to see them as significant parts of the Bible and understand who they are. And so there's lots of things we could say. I'm just gonna give you two things about who these angels are. They're personal and they're powerful. They're personal, and they're powerful. They're personal. They're not beams of light or ghosts or droids in Star Wars. They're personal beings. How do we know? Luke chapter one, the angel Gabriel, one, he has a name, very personal. He shows up to Mary. They're having a conversation, very personal. He starts off the conversation, greetings, oh favored one. Now, you may not start off your conversations with greetings, oh favored one. Maybe we should. Maybe we should jazz it up a little bit. But the angel, just like you as a a personal being who says, hey, how are you doing? Merry Christmas this morning. The angel comes to Mary and says, hey, greetings, oh favored one. Very personal. They engage in conversation. They, they give explanation and they give instruction. Like with Mary, they, they have a conversation with her. It's not ghostly. It's very personal. They, they tell her what's going to happen to her. With the shepherds, they give instruction specifically. Hey, you're going to go find this baby. Here's a detail you should know. He's going to be wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. They give explanation. They give instruction. Very personal beings. And they also empathize. Like one of the things you'll notice about angels, we're going to talk about, they're powerful. Every time an angel shows up, what happens? What's the response like? Fear, right? What does the angel do as they see somebody who's fearful? Do not be afraid. Very personal, right? They don't just, oh, you're afraid. They just bring the announcement. (laughs) Then they stop and they're like, every time. You notice that? Do not be afraid. This angel who talks to Mary, this angel that talks to the shepherds, very personal beings. They empathize with people. So it's not just this beam of light who's helping somebody catch a baseball in the outfield. Very personal beings, right? But they're also very powerful beings, right? We see this in different places in scripture. I'm just gonna give you one. 2 Kings 18 and 19. Go read it. It's an amazing story. If you think the Bible is boring, go read 2 Kings 18 and 19. It's like the movie 300 or the movie Braveheart. Right? What you see is singular one angel of the Lord kills 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. It's this massive feat by this powerful being. I don't think that that one angel that killed 185,000 soldiers was a cute chubby baby with a Cupid arrow. Do you? I mean, that'd be a lot of... (laughs) I don't think it went down like that. We see angels are like mighty warriors. Listen, that is why every time they come to somebody, what's the response? Fear. Are you scared of a little chubby baby with blue eyes and blonde hair maybe some of y'all have weird nightmares like that <laughs> i mean but typically not right but that's how we kind of picture angels that's not what scripture shows us they're they're personal beings they're powerful beings And they're significant in the story of Scripture. Like, as you look at the whole of Scripture and all the times they're mentioned, as you look at this part of the Christmas story, God becoming flesh, becoming a baby, becoming the Savior of the world, like, that's all significant. But it's not just that. Like, if you continue to read the Christmas story, what you see is each significant part. Like, with Joseph, an angel comes to Joseph twice, and a lot hangs in the balance in these moments where the angel comes. Like, if Joseph is gonna stay married to Mary, like if Jesus is gonna have earthly parents to raise him because he was fully human as well as fully God. So he did need his butt wiped. He did need someone to, to raise him up. And maybe if it weren't for the angel, he wouldn't have had a dad like Joseph because Joseph is thinking about divorcing Mary. But what happens? An angel shows up and says, no, 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 you don't need to do that. Another angel shows up for for Joseph to tell him to flee with his family. Hey, you need to take up your family and you need to go to Egypt. Why? Because Herod is trying to kill all the babies. Because he doesn't want this baby Jesus to take his throne one day. And so you need to go to Egypt. That was an angel. So significant parts of our Christmas story, significant parts of our Bible, these personal and powerful beings show up. That's who angels are. I some of you are thinking, Tim, how do we apply this sermon? I know, I prepared it. It's hard. <laughs> how do we apply this? Like just to impress our, our friends with angel trivia? Like, is that, is that how we apply it? Here's how I think we apply it, is we recognize that in our world, remember, it's unreasonable to think everything should be reasonable if you consider our universe, if you consider our very life and breath and how we came to be. In our world, there is both the scene And the unseen. There is both the physical and the spiritual. We haven't even talked about demons yet, but there's there's angels and there's demons. If you read the Bible at all, you encounter this. And I think what's unique is scripture joins these things together. This is a very practical story a mother having a child. That's how the Son of God shows up. The way every one of you showed up. Very practical, but also very spiritual and miraculous, right? They're tied together, right? You you see this, I think, in one of the best places in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 5 is all about these relationships that most of us engage with, Parenting, like a child to a parent, Ephesians 5 talks a lot about that. It talks a lot about spouses and how a husband and and wife should relate to each other. That's Ephesians 5. You know what Ephesians 6 is? Spiritual warfare, (laughs) As the Apostle Paul writes this letter, his natural progression was to talk about, hey, you know, husband and wife, you know, like the normal thing everybody experiences. Hey, you know, like parent to child, you know, the normal thing everybody experiences. Hey, you know, like uh, this calculated and collective enemy that you have that's warring against you. We don't have an enemy of flesh and blood, no, of of principalities, of of demons. And he, Ephesians 5 to Ephesians 6, he just, that's chapters we divide. Paul just was writing, See, the reality is God and Scripture they connect the physical with the spiritual, they connect the seen with the unseen. And yet many times all we focus on is the scene and usually the screen right in front of us. Amen. And we go through our week and we don't think about the cosmic battle that's taking place. And I'm not saying you should be around every corner looking for the demon who made you had a flat tire. I'm not going there today. But I'm just saying, if you believe the Bible, you need to believe there's a seen and an unseen and scripture connects and God designed it that they would connect. And God designed it that way for you. I think about it in my own life. Like uh, my wife and I are training for the rock and roll marathon. So pray for us, right? Um, It's like January 16th, so it's coming quick. So pray aggressively in the spirit, okay? just saying. Uh, My wife is running the full marathon, so pray for her extra, right? But we're doing a lot of running and... I was preparing for this sermon yesterday and I just kind of hit a block. If you're a communicator and you prepare anything, you kind of know what that's like. Sometimes you just hit a log jam and you're like, I can't, I don't, the screen, these, the Bible, these books, and I'm just like, ah, it's just not working out, right? It wasn't good. Uh, and so I just said, hey, I need, to, I need to train for this marathon. Anyway, this half marathon, I'm gonna go for a run. I went out and ran eight miles yesterday. So if I'm kind of limping around, that's why my hip is a little out of socket, right? But I, I run those eight miles and, and listen, it didn't just change things for me physically. Like I didn't just afterwards like have yoked up calves. I don't in general. But it didn't just, it wasn't just a physical experience. You know what happened on that run for like an hour and 14 minutes-ish? Is spiritual things, as I ran physically, I started, my eyes began to open. All the stuff I had read, all the screens I was looking at to, to prepare for the sermon, all the angel, angelic language and all this stuff, it just started to come alive for me. It started to connect. And I was like, oh, I need to move that section from here to here. I need to ask this, how does this apply? Why did I prepare this series? Who chose this? Oh, that's why the seen and the unseen. Oh, Ephesians 5, Ephesians 6. That came while I was physically running. That spiritual enlightenment came while I was doing something physical. Why? Because God set it up that way. That's how you're wired. And that's how our world is wired. And we don't ever think about that. So as we ask, who are the angels? We need to to ask, hey, do we consider this cosmic, this spiritual world that is taking place all around us? That there is a battle, Ephesians 6, and we're not gonna get into demons a lot today, but there is a battle for your soul as you sin. And I hope this is, this first point opens up, how do I apply this? You need to see that. You need to see how they're intertwined together because God created it that way. Right? Our, our second question we're gonna ask is, what do angels do? So we said, who are they? They're personal, powerful being who, beings who show up significantly in scripture. Well, what do they do? Well, here's broadly what they do. Just a few things from all of scripture. They act as guardians. We see that in the Old Testament. They bring judgment. We see that in Genesis chapter 19. They go before God's people. We see that in Exodus chapter 32. They bring God's word to prophets. We see that in 1 Kings 13. But specifically in this passage in Luke chapter two, and a lot of times the most common way we see and what we see angels do is they bring announcement and they bring adoration, they bring announcement to people and they bring adoration to God. This is what we see angels doing predominantly in this passage and in all of Scripture. And, and what they do is significant because of how they do it and the content of like these announcements like we just talked about in Luke chapter 2. Right, so if you look at this announcements, here's what they do. They bring an announcement. They bring important announcements, intentional announcements. We see it verse 9, they appear... And then verse 15, they go away into heaven. And that's typically what they do. What do angels do? They come to bring a significant announcement. They appear and then they go into heaven. So what we don't see a lot in scripture is that angel that is sitting over your shoulder and there's the demon, you know, you've seen all the characters. We don't really see that a lot. I'm not saying it's impossible, but that's not really what we see. We we see them come into a scenario to make a specific announcement and then they leave. And we have to look at the content of this announcement. We see they bring good news of great joy to all people that a savior is born. What do angels do? They bring announcements that change history. They bring good news of great joy for all people that a savior has been born. Specific intentional announcements. They say a Savior has been born. All the titles they could have given Jesus, they say Savior. Why? Because a Savior fulfills our greatest need, which is our sin. As we look at angels, as they make this announcement that many of us have read over and over and over, don't miss what they announce. You're a sinner in need of a Savior. These little kids up here, they're sweet, but they're sinful. And they need a savior. And the angels are saying, that has come. That has come. And that's why they, they praise God and they say, glory to God in the highest. That's why a multitude of angelic hosts join with them. Because a savior has come into the world. Do you know that? This is the announcement. This is what angels do. They bring announcements like this. And I think some of us, we we just, we miss that all together. And you notice the intentional language they use. It's good news of great joy for all people. They say unto you, who are they talking to? Shepherds, all people, and specifically unto you as shepherds. What's that showing us? God is showing us through this announcement, through what angels do, that this savior came to save every single one of us from your sin, even shepherds, who in that day were the lowliest of the low, often considered thieves. And it says, unto you and all people. That means white, black, and brown people, all people. That means like the shepherds and the lowly, but also the rich. That means the religious, but also the irreligious. That means the single and the married That means the young and the old. That means the gay, the straight, the trans, or whatever other thing you classify yourself as. All people. Good news of great joy that a Savior would come. Like some of you are getting excited. Oh, Tim, yes, all people. You just missed, you said gay, straight. Well, that kind of took me by surprise. I wasn't expecting that. He came to save you from your sin. So any sin you have committed, past, present, and future, any sin of commission, any sin of omission, any sin you call your lifestyle, any sin that you, you look at, maybe homosexual people are like, that's a really bad sin, but my sin of lust is not that bad. It's just normal for everybody. Both of those sins, a savior has come to all people. That's a big announcement, Amen. That's a big announcement that changes history and changes your life. What do angels do? They bring those kinds of announcements. Right? What do they also do? It's not just announcements. It's adoration. Uh, we don't worship angels. Do you know that? Like, so I don't think we have this problem in 2021, but just in case you do, Colossians 2.18 says, Paul says we disqualify ourselves when we worship angels. And I think at different times in history and maybe different times in your life, you become infatuated with the angels. You are asking, God, would you bring an angel to save my little baby? Whatever the case is for you, we don't worship angels. The angels don't worship themselves. They worship who? God. In this passage in Luke chapter 2, there's glory shining around everybody. Whose glory is that? God. It's not the glory of the angels. They're bringing the glory of God to bear, and they are adoring Jesus. They're glorifying God in this moment, but not just in this moment. Think about this for angels, in every moment of their lives. Isaiah chapter 6 gives us a picture of this. They're saying, holy, holy, holy is God almighty. We see the same thing in the book of Revelation. Holy, holy, holy. And I think sometimes as we think about angels doing that, as we think of us doing that in heaven one day, we're like, is that really going to be heaven? Ma'am, no, I'm not supposed to say that because I'm a Christian and we're supposed to be excited about worshiping and adoring God forever. But is that all we're going to do? Listen, here's what angels tell us is that we have a low view of the glory of God. Because listen, angels are fully in the presence of God Almighty. And how do they respond? Holy, holy, holy. Adoration nonstop. Because they're experiencing the glory of God in ways we haven't. And so what do angels do? They adore God as glorious because he is. So as we look at what angels do, what what does that teach us? Well, What announcements are we making? What adoration are are we participating in? Are we following suit with the angels? They're with God all the time. It's crazy. And this is how they're bringing announcements and they're bringing adoration. And we have to think about, are we doing that? And specifically at Christmas time, are we just consuming and not adoring? This week we had our Christmas party as a community group and, and we were gonna do a white elephant gift exchange with the kids and we set it out on the front end, like, first, before we give these kids gifts, they got to read the Christmas story, right? And why, why do we do that? We don't want them just to think Christmas is about consuming. We want them to think it's adoring, right? And we actually forgot, like, we got involved in the consuming. And we're like, yeah, just pass around the gifts. And we're like, oh, my gosh, we got to read the story. <laughs> and so we had the kids read the story. Listen, we should do that more often because we got into, like, Luke 3, They didn't want to stop reading the story. And we had to show them like this, that's what Christmas is about. It's about adoring Jesus, just like the angels did. It's about adoring Jesus, not just consuming. Friends, are you making time in your life? Not as a legalistic thing, but as a response to the glory, the kibode, the weight of God Almighty, who the angels are around all the time, and they can't help but holy, 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 adoring God most high. Are you making time? for adoring and not just consuming this Christmas. We should take our cues from the angels in that way. Are you doing that? So who are the angels? What do the angels do? And last thing, why does it matter? Why does it matter? Right. I'm gonna give you a couple of reasons in a second, but I think, I think one reason why it matters so much, especially with the adoring peace, to see angels who are constantly bowing down before their king, is because we, we do adore. We just typically adore one another, right? We typically adore celebrities or maybe even like celebrity pastors, which is not a thing, just so you know, right? Like I've just resigned myself to the fact I'm never gonna drive a Tesla. Like, I'm a pastor, I'm not a celebrity, but somehow we kind of like, we adore like people from afar. Maybe you adore your spouse, in an unhealthy way, you know how you can tell? Is when they sin or they let you down, your whole life is crushed. Because if you're honest, you put them up as savior, not spouse. And I think in our culture, we actually love adoring. That's why Instagram is so popular. It's literally what we're doing. We're putting up a picture that I hope you will adore and like. And then we're also liking and adoring other people's pictures. Is that what we're doing? We love to adore. Here's the problem. None of us can hold up under that weight and under that adoration. And many of you know this. Like I think in the past couple years in the church with pastors who are so-called celebrities that have cratered, we're like, oh, maybe we shouldn't be adoring one another. Maybe we should adore God, right? So why does all this matter? The angels are showing us Hey, you actually, you're built to adore. Adoration is in your blood. Just don't make the mistake of adoring someone else who's sinful just like you. Even as we look at Scripture, right? And I think people did this throughout history. In Bible times, they would adore like Abraham or David. And sometimes even since then, we'll be like, yeah, David was a man after God's own heart. David committed adultery and murder. The only perfect person God ever used in the Bible, his name is Jesus Christ. Amen. We don't even adore the Bible. Some of you get all tripped up. You're like, wait, Abraham did what? David did what? And that trips you up because we don't adore them. They're sinful people used by a massive, holy, weighty, kabod, glorious God. He's the one we adore. Everybody else is just the means by which his glory and his grace works through So I think as a culture, we need to learn from the angels. Why are we talking about this? We need to adore the appropriate one, the one who can bear the weight of your adoration and will not fail you. So I think that angels teach us that. Why do we talk about angels? They teach us about the glory that we don't know fully yet of being in the very presence of God Almighty And that we should take all of our desire to adore ourselves and other people and we should put that towards God. That's a good use of our time, amen? The second thing I think while we talk about this is the angels remind us of the glory of grace that we uniquely know. See, just like the angels, they kind of uniquely know God's glory because they're in his presence all the time. I can't even fathom that. You also uniquely know the, the glory of God's grace. Here, here's our story. We're sinful people saved by Jesus Christ. We're dead people brought to life by Jesus Christ. We The old has passed away. The new has come. You are a new creation if you have put your trust in Jesus Christ. All of your sin, past, present, and future, sins of omission, sins of commission, all of your conflict at Christmas that you're about to go home to with your family, all of that was paid for by Jesus on the cross for you. Unto you a Savior is born. That's what that means. That's the glory of God's grace in your life. The angels, they get to see that. Think about this. But they haven't themselves experienced that. You uniquely have. You've gone from death to life. They haven't. That's why it's good news of great joy for you. That's why we talk about this angelic declaration is so that you will be reminded that you have something that even the angels just long after, and they see, they haven't experienced, but you have. And listen, don't let this Christmas go by without adoring Jesus Christ because he saved you from your sin, He has brought you from death to life. That baby became a man, and he died a gruesome and bloody death on the cross for your sin, freely, fully, finally forgiven. Good news of great joy, amen. You know the glory of God's grace like nobody else. And are you responding and adoring Jesus because of that? Not only is he the only one that can hold up under your your weight, he's the only one worthy of the weight of adoring. And that's what we get the opportunity to do at Christmas. It's not just consuming, it's adoring. That's our privilege today. And, And listen, I know as I say that, Good news, great joy, glory of God's grace. Some of you are like, Tim, yeah, but I, I got some bad news recently. Like, I, not everything's going well in my life. I am. You mentioned the family that I'm going to that has conflict. Like, that. that's what I'm thinking about right now. Listen, that's why you're here in church today, is to be reminded, even amidst that bad news, you still have good news of great joy that's going to change your life for all eternity and I'm not exempt from that. Uh, I've mentioned and kind of alluded to the past couple of weeks. Uh, I've gotten some bad news in my life. I haven't explicitly said it to the whole church, but we just found out my dad got cancer um, and we are navigating that. It was literally the day before Thanksgiving. Uh, very not thankful for that news, right? Um, and this whole season, as I've been preaching to you, I've been on the phone, FaceTiming with my dad's oncologist because he wants us all to be in the room, uh, even virtually, uh, with my sister. And and I got some bad news. And we're pray pray with us uh, that my dad would be supernaturally healed before they have to do the surgery. That's what we're praying for. Amen. Uh, pray with us, man. I, I asked my dad if I could share this with you, and yes, we want as many people as possible to pray, right? And so you can pray with us. That's bad news. I don't like that at Christmas. We're navigating, like after Christmas Eve service, are my parents still flying in? Are we now driving because it's too late to get a flight? Are we now driving to Texas to see them? Like, what are we going to do? And how am I experiencing that bad news, but yet yelling at you about the good news of great joy? How is that possible? It's because that good news of great joy changes everything, even the bad news in which you are experiencing and which you are living right now, whatever that is for you. It's good news of great joy that changes history, that changes my dad's cancer, that that he knows because he's placed his faith in the Savior who came as a baby, who who was born as a baby, but who also died as a man. My dad has placed his faith in that Jesus. Jesus. And so he knows that he goes on to die for my sin. He goes on to rise in victory over sin, death, the grave, and cancer. And so he has a a good news of great joy. And I can tell you, my dad's not like, like frolicking around with a, putting a smile on it, but he's trusting in Jesus and adoring Jesus in the midst of this cancer diagnosis. And that's true for whatever bad news you're experiencing. You have a good news of great joy that supersedes. It's not just like, oh, it's like better than that. No, it works through your bad news to bring ultimate redemption and hope. Why do we talk about angels? And it reminds us this good news of great joy, this adoration for Jesus Christ, it can be true in your life, right? It's reality in your life. Do you believe that? Are you responding? As we sing, we're going to sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I know, like hark, herald, two words that you use all the time in your vernacular. Right? That, that word hark literally means like, listen up, hark. That word herald means declare, proclaim, The angels are singing unto you. This newborn king, this savior has come. It's good news of great joy. And we respond as we sing, but it's not just with our singing. It's also through our our giving to Ohana. It's also through our proclaiming during the week. It's also through our announcing as we invite people to Christmas Eve. Hey, come hear about this because you need this good news of great joy in the midst of your bad news. And so I invite you this morning, we're going to sing this song. The band's going to come up. I invite you to declare this good news of great joy, even if you're in some bad news right now. Amen? Because it's that good. It's that, It's oh, it's great joy. Okay. In the midst of your bad news. I'm going to be singing down here on the front row. You guys going to join me? Okay. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this moment to adore you because you're worth it, because you're worthy. And God, we just pray that I know as I just share this story about my dad and there's other stories I could share about my life that aren't such great news right now, but that this is good news of great joy in the midst of that. And I know every man and woman has their own story to tell. And God, I just pray that we wouldn't uh, wait till all that's cleared up before we adore you and worship you. We would worship you in the midst of those things. And uh, God, that you'd help us to do that even as we sing this song that we wouldn't lose sight of the miraculous work you do through angels and through us and in us through Jesus, our Savior. That's worth singing about. That's worth living for. And that's what we do in this moment. In the name of Jesus, amen.